Treehouse products are crafted to bring you the best that legal, delivered-to-your-door THC has to offer. Treehouse utilizes unique blends of carefully selected minor cannabinoids that get you lit in ways you've only ever dreamed of. From Delta-8 vape pens with innovative blends of Delta-9 and THCP, to the tastiest HHC-infused syrups and hemp flower pre-rolls on the planet, Treehouse has got you covered. Ready to delight in dank gummies and puff-powerful vapes? Head over to treehouse.com. That's T-R-E-H-O-U-S-E.com. There's only one E, not two, in treehouse.com. When you go there, get 30% off your order and a free Acapulco Gold HHC pre-roll. You can use the coupon code GENIUS. That's G-E-N-I-U-S. This offer expires August 31st, 2023. Grab your goodies and meet us for some fun in the treehouse. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% a real Jesus. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. My guest today is Barry Hankins. He's a professor of history and editor of the journal Church and State. Uh, all of this is at Baylor University. So we're going to talk about religion and American culture and uh, get into Barry's background and his current work. So welcome, Barry. Thanks for coming. Good to be here. Yeah. Well, tell me a bit about your background, about how you got to the position where you're at at Baylor. You know, what was your, your history like? Yeah, I am um, originally from Flint, Michigan, and I uh, actually, I came to Baylor as a student in the late 70s to play basketball and uh, played here at Baylor. And at that point, I, I majored in religion, thought I would go into some sort of ministry work. But as things turned out, I got interested in religious history and started studying religious history with grad school. After grad school, I was at Louisiana College for six years from 1990 to 1996. And then in 96, I was fortunate enough to, to come back to Baylor on the faculty. So I've been here for 27 years in the uh, Department of History. Um, so what kind of uh, things are you researching right now? What are you, what are you teaching about? And then what's your, your research about? My research is always about 20th century, almost always about 20th century evangelicals and fundamentalists, a lot of Baptist history, uh, those sorts of things. I've written a number of books on those sorts of subjects. I was chair of my department for six years previous to this year, and so my book writing research slowed down a little bit. I I wrote a, a book that came out in 2016 for Oxford University Press. It's in a series called Spiritual Lives. And I wrote a book on Woodrow Wilson. So that's kind of an outlier. It's not an, it's a book. Well, you know, Woodrow Wilson started out as a kid growing up as an evangelical and and then became a sort of mainline progressive Protestant. But I'm just starting in uh, now that I'm no longer chair of the department, I'm getting back to, I've I've been writing book chapters and articles while I've been doing administrative work as chair. And now I'm working on a proposal to write a spiritual biography of Ronald Reagan for this same series with Oxford University Press called Spiritual Lives. So I'm just getting started on that. 
So what is what is the spiritual box? Yeah, the the series with Oxford University Press called Spiritual Lives is uh, the gist of it is there are books, there are biographies, like religious biographies of people who are not principally religious people. So there aren't any volumes, ministers or religious figures or theologians, but rather there are either political figures or cultural figures. My colleague, Alicia Kaufman, for example, she wrote a Spiritual Lives biography in the series on Margaret Mead. The editor of the series, Tim Larson at Wheaton College, he's written one, the philosopher John Stuart Mill. I think there's going to be one, if it hasn't already been done, there's going to be one on John Lennon. They can even be biographies of people who were, in their careers, became sort of secularized and non-religious, but the idea is that sort of these figures still had sort of religious identities in one way, shape, or form. So basically, they're religious biographies of people who are not principally known as religious figures. So, Oh, but you know going in that they did have a spiritual life? Like, how would you, was there comments they made or friends and associates that said, let's say they were an active churchgoer? Like, well, from my perspective, you know, Woodrow, Wil Woodrow Wilson has always been known as a highly religious president. In fact, uh, you know, some used to say that uh, prior to Jimmy Carter, Woodrow Wilson was arguably the most Christian president that we've ever had. One of his biographies, of course, there have been many biographies of Woodrow Wilson. One of his biographers said that every decision he made was sort of couched in religious uh, thinking. And so he was long considered a religious thinking president who comes out of a conservative Southern Presbyterian background. I mean, like he was from five or six generation of pastors. He had pastors on both sides of his lineage, both his father's side and his, his own father was a major Presbyterian theologian and pastor in the late 19th, early 20th century. And so, you know, he's a highly religious person. So, you know, I wrote a book kind of trying to get at the gist of what what his religion was, both at, and how it developed and how it changed over time and those sorts of things. So what interesting things have you learned from studying the, uh, the religious lives of others? Anything that jumps out at you that you didn't know before? Well, you be know, a particular person or in, in general? Yeah, right now, the whole issue in American religion and politics having to do with evangelicals is, you know, wrapped up in sort of evangelical right-wing politics and evangelical support for Trump and what it even means to call someone an evangelical these days. You know, I, I do, I've written some recent sort of shorter pieces on those issues. I, I work on Southern Baptists quite a bit. And so the whole issue of how Southern Baptists identify as evangelicals and right now the tension in the Southern Baptist convention uh, between sort of the, the evangelical culture warriors in the Southern Baptist convention and those who want to get the denomination to move a little bit away from politics and get back to sort of evangelism and missions. So I get a lot of calls, you know, from reporters, you know, wanting to talk about, about that issue. And right now, those of us who study 20th century American evangelical history, you know, we, we sort of have this scholarly debate going on as to how you even define an evangelical in America these days. 
And so that's the sort of thing that seems to be the hottest topic. And that's what sort of drew me to Ronald Reagan, because Reagan is, is the political figure, the president that sort of drew evangelicals more into politics than they had been previous to 1980 when Reagan ran for president, ran successfully for president the first time. And the whole development of the Christian right, the religious right. And then if you track that history from Reagan's election in 1980 through, you know, Trump's election in 2016 and then his loss in 2020 and the solid evangelical report, uh, support rather for Republican president candidate since that time sort of leads us to the historical question of, well, you know, what exactly does it even mean to be an evangelical? Any? And so that's the, that's sort of the hot topic right now in, in my area of study. Well, traditionally, what does it mean to be an evangelical? Well, for about 20, 30 years, there was a fairly strong consensus that was defined. It wasn't created, but it was defined by the British historian David Bebbington. And the definition that kind of the working definition that historians were using until recently was that evangelicals were these conservative Protestant Christians across a bunch of denominations who were held together by a belief, a sort of loose belief system that Bebbington named, and so it became known as the Bebbington Quadrilateral. And the idea is that historically, over time, say from the 18th century, the 1700s to the present, evangelicals were people who believed in these four things. Biblicism, which is a belief in the authority of, of, the, of the Bible. Conversionism, the belief that everyone must be converted through an experience with Jesus Christ. What Bebbington dubbed as crucicentrism, which is the centrality of the crucifixion of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And then the fourth point was activism, and that is evangelicals were active religious believers, uh, sometimes in politics, almost always in evangelism and missions, and so forth. So the, the Bebbington Quadrilateral, again, was biblicism, conversionism, crucicentrism, and activism. But now, recently, a few years ago, historian Kristen Dumais, who you may have on this program sometime, or you should have it sometime, Kristen Dumais at Calvin University has written a book called Jesus and John Wayne. And it's the best sort of lengthy inquiry into how evangelicals have been shaped in the last 30 years by not those things of the Bebbington Quadrilateral, but more so by things like patriarchy, militarism, American nationalism, these sorts of things. So what I see right now that I think is interesting, and I, I've, I've written this in a chapter in a book that's, I think it was just released this week, or maybe it's going to release, be released in the next few weeks. It's a book on Baptists and political theology. And the chapter I wrote, basically, I, I say, okay, we have a spectrum here of what it means to be evangelical and how historians look at evangelicals. And the spectrum ranges from the Bebbington Quadrilateral, which is religious beliefs hold evangelicals together, to what I call the Dumay, Christian Dumay, the Dumay Patrilateral, which are these more political, cultural sorts of things. And um, and so now this this is the whole definition of what we even mean when we use the term evangelical and what people themselves mean when they use that term or what the media uses when they use that term. That whole definition is sort of up for grabs. Is this a religious grouping or is this a group that a religious group that is not defined by its beliefs so much as its political activity again? 
you know, patriarchy, American nationalism, militarism, patriotism, these sorts of things. So I think that's sort of the hot discussion we have right now in, in my field of study. Treehouse Live Rosin Liquid Diamond Vape Pens combine the impressive taste and potency of live rosin extract with the power of liquid THC diamonds to bring you an unrivaled buzz and mouth-watering flavor profile. If you like getting lit, head over to treehouse.com. That's T-R-E-H-O-U-S-E.com. One E, not two. When you go there, take your vape game up to new heights. Enjoy 30% off your order and get a free Acapulco Gold HHC pre-roll when you use coupon code GENIUS. Again, that's G-E-N-I-U-S. Hurry because the offer expires August 31st, 2023. Treehouse, the best that legal, delivered to your door, THC has to offer. So politics has redefined what it means to be a Christian or just an evangelical, or what's your summary view? Yeah, um, I'm... uh... I think, again, I use this spectrum from the Bevington quadrilateral to the Dume quadrilateral. And I would put different evangelicals at different places along that spectrum. I mean, you can still find, you, you, you can, for example, you can, you can still find, you know, maybe 20%, some, some statistical sociological studies have found that, you know, maybe 20% of those who would identify as evangelicals are not conservative in politics. Sometimes they're called the evangelical left. You can also find a lot of people that maybe they would call themselves evangelicals, but historically they've been viewed as evangelicals and they don't get involved in politics very much. And so you can still find people who are conservative Protestants, which is actually maybe a, a little better term, who would lean more toward the Bebbington quadrilateral of religious beliefs. But in public life, this the, the evangelicals who, who are driving the culture warriors on the culture wars on the right right now, and really those who have been doing that since the 1980s. So we're looking back at figures like Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, James Dobson, those sorts of figures. They seem to have redefined what it means to be an evangelical. And it is this, it's this, it's this conservative political posture that Dumay covers in her book, Jesus and John Wayne, that has to do with, again, American nationalism, patriotism, militarism, and these sorts of things. And so I still, you know, I still think you have a variety, but right now in public life, the Dumay sort of, of patrilateral evangelicals clearly dominate the situation so much that, you know, when those of us who are historians, are, if we're going to write about it, we have to be pretty precise about what we're talking about. Because if you just say evangelical, you're immediately conjuring up the most obvious group now, which is the culture warrior sort of evangelicals that are out there supporting Trump. So, you know, that's that's the way I look at it. It's a complex sort of situation. But I think that the weight of the definition leans toward the Dume patrilateral end of the spectrum for me. So, so who is defined this? Have Christians defined this for themselves or, or you know, has opposing groups defined them for them? I think, I think, well, I think you have about two or three things. You have both of those things going on. In, in some ways, Christians have defined this for themselves. And by that, I mean, when you have a figure and one of the most visible figures in this, in the Trump era, has been Robert Jeffress, who's the pastor of First Baptist Dallas, First Baptist Church in Dallas. And he's on Fox News all the time. But again, you, this all started back in the 80s with Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, James Dobson, these sorts of figures. 
their public religion has, by the way that they seem to define it and the way that they seem to practice their public religion, I think you can say that as Christians themselves, as, as evangelical Christians themselves, they have, whether intending to or not, they have redefined publicly what it looks like to be an evangelical. On the other side, though, you have those of us who do what I do, those of us who are historians, and we're trying to analyze what's happening on the ground. And, you know, we're looking at the past, sometimes the recent past, uh, say from 1980 to the present. And so we're trying to define, okay, well, what does it mean to be an evangelical? So you have those who are actually defining themselves as evangelical in the public life of our culture wars. And then you have people like me who are trying to explain this. And so we are using the term evangelical. We have to say, okay, when we use the term evangelical, who are we talking about? And that's that definition is is really what is I, well. I think all the definition, whether whether it's those who are in the culture wars or those who are analyzing the culture wars, all of us are sort of grappling with what term, what is what does evangelical mean anymore? And and so it's 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 all of those that it's both of those that you mentioned. So what what denominations or Segments of Christianity are tied to evangelism, evangelism versus uh, not. Is it are Baptists tied to it more, or Baptists are the more by by far the largest group of evangelicals are Baptists. The largest group of Baptists are the Southern Baptists. But the, there are Southern Baptists, and then there are a variety of other denominations, all of which are significant in size, but they're dwarfed by Southern Baptists. In fact, all evangelical denominations are dwarfed by the Southern Baptists. The Southern Baptists are the largest Protestant denomination in America, and they have been since about the mid-60s or so. And, and what's interesting is the Southern Baptist Convention up until the 1980s, you know, it was it was interesting because historians largely would have said, yeah, in their beliefs, Southern Baptists are evangelical. And by beliefs, I mean the Bebbington quadrilateral. You know, the Bible is the most important authority. The authority for religion conversion is absolutely essential. The, the death and resurrection of Christ is the central part of conversion and activism is part of being a, a Christian and so forth. But in the 1980s and 1990s, the conservative faction in the Southern Baptist Convention took control of the denomination. And they very overtly identified themselves as conservative evangelicals. Some would call them fundamentalists. They don't like to be called that themselves for a variety of reasons. Uh, largely, the, the term fundamentalist has been a pejorative term in, in a lot of avenues uh, since the 1920s. Uh, but they would call themselves conservative evangelicals. And, and from the 1980s, 90s, and by the time you get into the early 2000s, some of the leading, often, well, always since since about 1996 or so, at least one of the leading voices of the evangelical side of the culture wars has been a Southern Baptist spokesperson. And and so Southern Baptists are the largest. Now, there are a lot of smaller denominations or evangelical Presbyterian denominations or evangelical groups that come out of the Methodist tradition. There are smaller denominations, Free Methodist, Nazarenes, and they're all, you know, all struggling with what degree to which they should be politically active and whether this is helpful or not. And so you have a lot of different denominations that have over the over the decades have been considered evangelical. But the most visible are clearly the Southern Baptists and they, and they want to be leaders in the evangelical side of, of culture in America. Well, what's um, you know, I'm not familiar with with all the denominations. What makes Baptists and Southern Baptists unique? What do they believe is different from Anglicans or 
historically, it's 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 looked a little bit like this. This is a little bit of an oversimplification. So it's the sort of thing that we historians sort of argue about all the time. But for it's it's been a useful sort of exercise to say that since the 1920s or so, so for about a century, you sort of have in in, in the Protestant in Protestant America, in the Protestant side of American religion, you have had, for convenience, we can say you've had the sort of evangelical conservative side. And then the more liberal, what's often called the mainline side. So your mainline denominations would be, you know, the Presbyterian Church USA, which is the large mainline denomination. The United Methodist Church, the Epi- American Episcopalians are on the mainline side. And it's an, it's an interesting story. We don't have to get off on how they became known as the mainline. But, you know, that whole tradition is the liberal side of American Protestantism, whereas the evangelical side has been the conservative side, which has included fundamentalists, which are these hard fighting militant sort of Christians. And so denominations often, again, there are a lot of denominations that would like to say they don't fit in either side. So like, what do you do with, say, Mennonites? You know, are Mennonites mainline? I mean, some Mennonites would identify more with the social justice emphasis of mainline Protestants, while other Mennonites don't want to get involved in politics at all. So where do you put them? You know, so there are a lot of groups that don't fit these two categories very nice, very easily. But for convenience sake, we often have said that American Protestantism has been sort of divided into these two parties, the evangelical party and the mainline liberal party so forth. So uh, again, the conservatives, uh, the evangelical conservative side have been defined by this Bebbington quadrilateral, but now there's this question of whether that's the best way to define evangelicals or whether evangelicals are actually a political expression of religion uh, and not a sort of belief theological expression uh, of religion. And again, on the evangelical side, the largest group by far dwarfing all the others are this is the Southern Baptist Convention and the people and the activists that they have in that in that denomination. Okay. So your goal is to define a modern day tenets or beliefs or aspects of evangelism? Yeah, and in the uh, the term evangelical is, a, is evangelicals believe in evangelism. Evangelical evangelism means you know go out and spread the word of Jesus Christ, spread the gospel of Christ, as evangelicals would call it. But evangelical is uh, the term evangelism is just one part of the term evangelical. The term evangelical is again. <laughs> Uh, historically, uh, uh, at least until recently, it's been sort of a theological expression. So when we say evangelical, until recently, we've been talking about a group that believes these certain things that are easily categorized as the Bebbington, these four things that Bebbington identified about 30 years ago, the four points of the Bebbington quadrilateral. But again, the question is, and, and what historians are doing now, like Kristen Dumay or myself or John Fia, for example, does a lot of, of, of public work. On, identi- on trying to define and track what evangelicals are and how they're changing over time. And so the work that historians like, like me do is looking at this group and saying, you know, who are they, what they're doing, what does their public work mean in religious terms and cultural terms and political terms and so forth. So if you're able to define this, then what? What do you, what do, you do with uh, the definition that's out there if it, you know, if it comports well with what's actually happening? Do you try to predict then what's next or like what what's the use of uh, figuring this out? Well, historians are always asked to predict what's going to happen. 
And I always say that the, the odd thing about being a historian is we spend all of our time thinking about the past and trying to interpret the past. And then people want, want us to tell them what's going to happen in the future. Um, I really think our role, the role that most of us as religious historians have, and really historians in, in any field, I think the role or, or the goal or objective that we have is to try to interpret to try to explain, to try to make sense of this. You know, so the question that we're trying to make sense of now is so obvious. How do you have, again, let's, let's just this group of people that have been known publicly as evangelicals, and they've been in the news, they've been central to American culture, and they've been the most reliable voting bloc in the Republican Party since the 1980s. I like to say that evangelicals are to the Republican Party what labor used to be to the Democratic Party back when labor unions were really powerful long ago. And that is that evangelicals are the most reliable voting bloc or the most reliable group of political activists on the conservative side in, in the Republican Party. So the question that is, is so obvious is starting in the 1980s with their support of Ronald Reagan and then their support of George H.W. Bush and then their support of George W. Bush and really the two sort of star presidents of evangelical history recently have been Reagan and George W. Bush. And evangelicals were always saying, you know, that we need righteousness in public life. And so we need morality in public life. And so we need to have presidents and others in political life at every level who sort of exemplify the values of conservative Christianity. And it's it's almost been a requirement that in some way, shape, or form, they sort of be religious people themselves, which was really easy with George W. Bush because he's a practicing, professing, conservative Protestant Christian. You know, Ronald Reagan sort of was that you know, it's, that's um, that's one of the things I'm going to try and figure out in, in my book, you know, uh, because he didn't he wasn't that all of his career. But evangelicals sort of adopt him, adopted that and he and he embraced evangelicals and so forth. So now the question is, how in the world, after over 35 years, you have evangelicals saying we, we have to have a Christian president, we have to have a moral president, we have to have somebody who has a strong you know grasp. Uh, of of traditional values, and then in 2016, evangelicals come to support Donald Trump. See, that's the, that's the irony here, and then, so that's what brings up the question: Are evangelicals really about Christian values? Are they really about morality, or are they about right wing politics? You know, and they would say, you know, the answer that evangelical figures would give is that that Donald Trump has his moral failings, to be sure, but at the same time, he is protecting evangelicals, and that's a big part of it that, that we can talk about, uh, what's going on here. But he also uh, stands up to the left. And so he's a useful sort of leader, and he should be supported in the same way that there were pagan monarchs in the Old Testament who occasionally protected the chosen people of Israel. You know, they weren't part of the chosen people of Israel, but they protected them against their enemies. And so you have these evangelical figures who see Donald Trump as the great protector, even though he himself has all his personal moral failings throughout his life. He's the only game in town for protect, protecting and trying to further uh, things like the pro-life cause in abortion, things like the anti-gay rights sort of stance, a traditional even though Trump's not an exemplar of traditional marriage by any means, at least he stands against 
gay marriage and he stands against a, a variety of other things that evangelicals are against. And so, but this question of how did evangelicals get to support Trump when they had been saying that every candidate they supported for 35 years had to himself or herself be an exemplar of traditional values because they were the the values voice in the Republican Party. Well, do all evangelicals support Trump or like, you know, it sounds like something the media has well, it actually, they all do. yeah, well, actually support evangelical support for Trump is about the same. It's very similar to the level of, you know, from George W. Bush forward. But by the time George W. Bush ran for president in 2000, you know, he got 68 to 70 percent of the evangelical vote his first time and about 72 percent. We think in the in the election of 2004, and that's about the same percentage that um, of evangelical voters that, that cast their vote for Trump. And, and the truth is that, that you know, I mean, what it comes down to for me is that evangelicals, have, however you define them, evangelicals have become such a central part of the Republican Party that is it is unconscionable for most evangelicals to vote for anyone who's not a Republican. They see the Democratic Party, they see the whole liberal side of American politics as being secular, and even worse than that, as being hostile to traditional positions and hostile to traditional Christianity. And so, you know, it's 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 now to the point where it's pretty clear evangelicals will vote for who whoever is the Republican candidate for president, and it happened to be Trump. But it goes a little further than that, because it's not just that evangelicals have said, you know, We've got to vote for Trump because he's a Republican. There are actually there's a whole wing of evangelical activists who don't just sort of hold their nose and vote for Trump. They are actually very pro-Trump and they see him again as the protector of, of Christianity, of, of sort of a Christian America. And however ironic that might seem to call Trump the protector of anything Christian because he himself you know, is essentially, uh, you know, in his in his in his entire life, he's not been by any means a practicing Christian. Uh, doesn't even seem to understand what that means. But many evangelicals are enthusiastic supporters of Trump. Not just we have to support him because the alternative is so bad. But again, in terms of voting, it doesn't really matter who the Republican candidate is in 2024. Again, this is a historian predicting things, but it's a pretty easy prediction. It doesn't matter who the Republican candidate is in 2024. He or she, and it's looking like it's going to, well, it could be Nikki Haley, I guess. He or she is going to get, you know, upwards of 70% of the evangelical vote, however one defines the evangelical vote, including if you take those who self-identify as evangelical, you know, 70 to 75% of them are going to vote Republican in 2024. And here's another ironic thing that's happened, and this is really interesting. You're starting to see, and there's, there's been some sociological study of this. I mean, literally, it's just some of these studies that just come out in the past month. You have a group of people now who didn't used to identify themselves as evangelical and don't even go to church regularly. But now they're when they're polled, they're identifying themselves as evangelicals, which seems to indicate that in a lot of quarters in American culture, the term evangelicals become a political term. So you 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 pollsters go out and talk to these people who haven't gone to church, have not historically thought of themselves as as even Christian. They're now saying if they're asked and they're given a choice and they're given a list of terms, they're picking evangelical. And apparently it seems like that is because, again, it's a little too early to say, but it seems like that's because this term now fits them politically. 
Whereas it used to be evangelicals were, were regular churchgoers. That was a big part of what it means, what it meant to be an evangelical. You know? So that's another indicator that the whole term is being redefined in public life. That's really strange. Hmm. Have you seen this with other um, religions or other denominations of Christianity? Well, historically, say for the past century or a little more, on the liberal side of American Protestantism, the mainline Protestant side, you, you've seen the phenomenon where many mainline Protestant Christians seem to be, be identified or seem themselves to identify more with what they do in politics and what they do in social justice areas rather than sort of a personal piety. Now, there's both. I mean, most mainline Protestants or many mainline Protestants who are very active in their faith, they have both a sort of personal piety, which is is wrapped up in trying to do the good things that are outlined in the Bible. When it comes to conversion, you know, liberal Protestants have, have you know, that's been downplayed over the last century, sort of the personal conversion experience with Jesus Christ. Rather, liberal Protestants have been defined by sort of being socialized into a religious culture where you're defined by trying to do the good things that are outlined in the Bible, and you, you come to be defined by certain social justice issues poverty, working with those who are less uh, advantaged in society, working for social social justice, working for equality for women in all areas of life, equality for all people of color in all areas of life. So so it's not a it's not a it's not unprecedented to answer your question. It's not unprecedented for religious groups of people to become defined as much by their political and social and cultural stances as they are by their personal religious life. I mean, best case scenario, whether mainline Protestant or evangelical Protestant, you have people who are both individually, privately religious at the same time they sort of have a public face for their religion. And then you also have a lot of denominations who just don't want to get involved in politics at all. And so those people are defined by how they live out their lives in their congregations, how they live out their lives in their personal, private lives, and so forth. So you can think of historically, again, if you go back to groups like the Mennonites, historically you have groups of Mennonites who are very public, really, they just want to withdraw from politics, stay out of politics, and live in their Mennonite communities. And the Amish are even you know, further in that way. Amish do not get involved in politics. They define themselves as sort of being outside the culture. But historically in Protestantism, both the mainline liberals and the evangelical have been very active in culture and very active in politics. And some of them are so active that it seems when we study them that maybe they're more defined by their public, activist sort of cultural and political stances, maybe they're defined as much by that as they are by whatever personal beliefs they might have. And I think you have that phenomenon on both sides, both on the evangelical conservative side and on the mainline liberal side. Um, so what do you think is the future of evangelical Christians and other denominations? Are they going to continue moving as politics changes, or what do you see from here? Yeah, it's, it's really hard to say, and we're always on dangerous territory, historians are when we try to predict. But I would say if you want to see the group, again, to come back to the Southern Baptists, 
the group that's actually grappling with this, and you you can probably, I, I, I'm, I'm almost sure you can find this on a lot of smaller denominations as well. They're just not very visible and reporters don't cover them. And what I'm talking about the contest right now in the Southern Baptist Convention, whereas in the 80s and 90s, the contest, the contest of Southern Baptist Convention was between those who were called the moderates and those who were called the conservatives. The moderates just were a little more liberal in their both their theology, even though they were still in beliefs. Most of them were evangelical in the Bebbington quadrilateral form of evangelical belief. But the, the big contest in the 80s and 90s was who's going to control the denomination. They're going to be the conservative wing or the moderate wing. Well, the conservatives won that. There's no doubt about that. Now, the tension in the Southern Baptist Convention isn't between conservatives and moderates. It's between two types of conservatives and on one two types of evangelicals. And one side, they want the denomination to start pulling back from politics. They think the denomination has been over-politicized. And they actually use the term Great Commission Baptist. So the Great Commission is this verse in Matthew where Jesus tells his followers, go and make disciples of all people. So the Great Commission is evangelism. It's missions. So that side of the Southern Baptist Convention, and Rick Warren has been speaking out on this publicly uh, in, in a very strong way for a long time, but it, just in the past month, he's been making YouTube broadcasts about this. And he's saying that the Southern Baptists need to get back to evangelism and get out of the culture wars. On the other side, you have a whole group. In fact, they haven't created a network in the Southern Baptist Convention called the Conservative Baptist Network. It's almost like a, a, a mini denomination within the denomination. And they're saying, we have to fight these battles against critical race theory, against feminism, against gay rights, gay marriage. These are the sorts of things that are at issue, and we need to be at the forefront of fighting these battles. So within the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest evangelical denomination in America by far, you have clearly these two factions. And the question you know, is, you know, which faction is going to win the day? It's hard. It's hard to say. They might have to just live with the tension. They're, they don't have enough power to throw each other out. Although Rick Warren's church was actually just disfellowshipped from the Southern Baptist Convention because his church ordains women pastors, and so you have this infighting going on. And again, the Southern Baptist Convention is just the largest and most visible example of that. But it's almost certain that other denominations that would call themselves, would identify themselves as evangelical, they're having the same tension. Are we going to be political? Are we going to talk about politics in our churches? Are we going to march in the streets? Are we going to campaign for Donald Trump and others like Trump? Or are we going to stay out of politics and try and focus on studying the Bible, raising our families, evangelizing our neighbors, these sorts of things? So my prediction is the future of evangelical evangelicalism is an ongoing tension between the culture warriors and those who want to draw back from the political culture wars and get back to studying scripture, evangelizing their neighbors, raising their families, and focusing on their own congregations. That's where I think the tension is. That's where I think it's going to remain for for the foreseeable future. Okay, well, very good, Barry. Um, What's the best place for people to find out more about your work? Where can they go? Uh, You know, I'm uh, I'm old enough that I probably Amazon. I'm old. I'm old enough that I, I don't 
you know, I, I can access Twitter, but I don't put things on Twitter and uh, on Facebook. I'm more about, you know, my grandkids and stuff like that. So actually to, to find my work, uh, to go, go on it, just put my name into Amazon and you can see the books I've written. And then you can go to my own, you know, just go to the Baylor website, go to the Department of History at Baylor and you can check the most recent stuff I've had that's, uh, that's come out. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Barry, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I appreciate it. All right. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Remember, before you go, you've got to check out treehouse.com. That's T-R-E, only one E, T-R-E-H-O-U-S-E dot com. They offer an array of premium legal THC products, including gummies, vapes, pre-rolls, and more. And they're all delivered right to your doorstep. With unique blends of carefully selected cannabinoids, all rigorously lab tested to ensure quality and consistency, Treehouse products give you the buzz you simply can't get anywhere else. Head over to treehouse.com. That's T-R-E-H-O-U-S-E.com. Remember, there's one E, not two. And enjoy 30% off your order and get Acapulco Gold HHC pre-rolls when you use the coupon code GENIUS at checkout. Hurry because the offer expires August 31st, 2023. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.